And so if I was talking to a younger, my younger self or any young people, I always encourage them that you should believe you can do it. That thing that you think is a disadvantage, it might very well be the best damn thing you should do. It, it, it might be the very, the very thing. You gotta believe it. You gotta believe it's possible. You gotta believe it can happen. You gotta believe you can do it because there will be people, there will be forces, there will be places and organizations to tell you otherwise. So if you don't, you better start believing quick. Welcome to Works in Process, the podcast series where I, designer and educator George Garistecki Jr., have the conversations you wish you had. I talk to designers, artists, educators, and creators to find out the hows and whys of their creative work. Through experiences and inspiration, my guests explore the techniques and observations that have helped them navigate their creative career. Thanks for joining me to explore how creativity is fueled by intuition, motivation, and most of all, process. And that was today's guest, Jacinda Walker. Jacinda is renowned for her work in design, diversity, research, and strategy. She is the founder and creative director of Design Explorer, a social impact organization whose mission addresses the diversity gap within design profession. Her research on design journeys, strategy for increasing diversity in design disciplines has been hailed a breakthrough work. This solution-based thesis explores diversity in design disciplines and investigates effective strategies to expose Black and Latino youth to design careers. Jacinda's future goals are to help scale diversity in design initiatives with education institutions, corporations, organizations, and museums. Recently, Jacinda was featured as an unsung hero by the Cleveland Public Library and received the 2021 Mentor Award from the Chicago-based Project Osmosis. It's for her continued drive and advocation for young people that I have Jacinda on the show today. I look to learn how she instills passion for design at an early age and what we as a community can do to foster this change alongside her. Hey, Jacinda, welcome to the Works and Process podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, before we get into you and what you are as a creative, I'd like to do something fun as the beginning of our podcast. It's a rapid Q&A questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Give it to me. All right. So first is a series of this or that questions. Okay. This or that. Got it. Got it. Coffee or tea? Tea. Eggs or cereal? Ooh, I like them both. Both. <laughs> both. Um, analog or digital? Analog. I'm missing my teeth. <laughs> Cleveland or Akron? Two one six every day. Two one six. Workshops or speaking engagements? <gasps> oh my goodness! Both. Both. No, not, no, you gotta, you gotta pick one. Both um, workshops or speaking engagements. Workshops or speaking engagements. Workshops. All right. There you go. <laughs> and now some quick word association, right? So the first thing you hear when you hear these words. Okay. Creativity. Design. Determination. Black women. Business. Risk. Failure. Fail fast. Fast. <laughs> Community. Cleveland. Education. Design. Mistakes. All the time. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Skills. Lots of them. <laughs> History. 
Gotta have it. Opportunity. Precious commodities. Accessibility. With everything. Future. Now. And last but not least, process. Is a must. (laughs) Definitely, right? I totally agree. Yes. I work with so many young people, and that's usually one of our first conversations. Like, do you even know how you do what you do? Such a big one. Such it a is. big one. They're, they're still learning, and they're usually in school or having these experiences where they're trying to learn about the profession and learn about the work, right? And you get so far out, and you're like, oh, no, how, what do I need to remain creative? You know, this thing called a career is a long journey. And if you don't ask yourself that early enough, you'll slip up. You'll totally slip up and not be paying attention to it. So being able to talk about that when you're a young creative, critical, critical. And so that's usually a big conversation that we usually have. Agreed. And so now let's get a little bit into um, kind of what I call your origin story, right? Let's find out how you were introduced into art and design. Well, I talk about it often. I talk about it often. It's not private. I am from an incredibly creative mother. My mom, she was so special. She could cook and she sewed clothing. Like, you know, she sewed me and my brother's clothes until I grew boobs. And she cooked. She made clothes. She did hair. My mother was like the the neighborhood building hairstylist. Um, She did a little bit of makeup. I mean, she was... She crocheted, you know, like the string crocheting, not Mm -hmm. just knitting, but like string crochet that make the doilies that a lot of women have during the 1920s on their tablecloths. And so she did those. And we always were creative in the house. Like it was something that we did as a hobby. Never in my right mind did I think that this was something that you could do as a career path. And so in high school, when my teacher, she was pregnant and she went away on maternity leave, she was replaced by this gentleman, his name was Mr. Applebaum. And uh, he was a commercial artist. And he started us using typography and making ads. And he even took away our paint, and our watercolors and brushes, and he replaced them with Prismacolors and T-squares and Rapidograph pens. And, you know, he, he changed everything. And he told me that he thought I was pretty good at this and I should think about it. And I didn't believe him. And I know at 16, I had lots of attitude and (laughs) I did. It was really bad. I look back on it like, oops. Um, But I had lots of attitude at 16 and I went ahead. I cut class and I went to the guidance counselor to ask him, is it this thing called design and and what is it and where is it? And for me, you have to understand this is before Google and this is before the Internet. right? So like I just went and they had binders of books and it, in the whole guidance counselor office, it was only three that had the art and design stuff in it. So it, for me, I feel like it narrowed it down. <laughs> it right. narrowed down the what and the where and the how very, very quickly. And as the oldest child um, in my family, my mother refused to let me go out of state. She was like, I was like, oh, mommy, it's a school in Florida. She was like, what you going to do there? What? You can't do design here? <laughs> um, I mean, I could, but well, you need to find how to do it here. She was like, you can go, but I'm going to need you to stay in the state. And so that's kind of the origin story of 
how I kind of got into this area. Wow. So, so with that, right, you answered a lot of questions I was going to ask you in the beginning, which is awesome. So <laughs> we can, we can bypass that. Right. And so what was your first creative job and how did you stumble into it? Did not stumble, walked face first into it, smack dead. My first design job, it was an internship at Hickok Engineering. It's here in Cleveland. They work for Ford and they make car parts. Now realize, you know, here in Cleveland, we're a manufacturing town. We're a steel town, you know, and these kind of nooks and crannies exist all in Cleveland, but I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I had an amazing sixth grade art teacher and she became the computer design teacher, right? Like she taught us like computer literacy and coding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I got out of college, I had, you know, you have like summer breaks. And so I would always go back and visit my high school. I would always go back and visit the middle school. I still had, I have a ton of siblings. So they were still in school. (laughs) So it was easy for me to stay connected. And when she found out I was looking for work, she was like, oh, I know some people. And I'm thinking, okay, well, call me. And she did. And uh, I met the gentleman at Hickok Engineering. And he was like, oh my gosh, you know how to design. And I figured he was just going to hire me to make coffee and go do errands and go find stuff, right? Like, that's what I thought. And he was like, oh, no, we're going to have you make something. And I'm thinking, I can't make anything. I don't even have, like, I just barely got a two-year degree. I don't think I'm qualified to do anything. And he was like, "Mm." he was like, how did you make this stuff in your portfolio? And I told him I used this program called PageMaker and Quirk Express. And he was like, Really? And I said, yes, you know, we got Max at school. And he was like, well, we want you to make our newsletter. And so for the next three months, George, I had personalized training from the writers, from the mechanics, from the entire automotive team, the Photoshop designers, like the people who did the retouching and the cleansing. Because, you know, when you see the magazine, when you see the car parts in the magazine, they don't always look that clean all the time. Somebody's got to clean that up. They don't look like that. So uh, I got a chance to work with each of these professionals so that I could create and design this newsletter. And when I finished the newsletter and I went back to school, I went back to University of Akron. It was crazy because I had already begun to evolve. I, I, I saw it in my work. I, I saw it in my abilities. And I was able to see it in my classmates like, oh, wait a second. We're talking about something different now, right? Like some of us have had different experiences and I'm seeing it now. Right. And this was maybe like my second in the second year. So it was, it was really early still. Like it was still super early in my career. Yeah. Isn't that the, the, the great point of an internship, right. To expose you to things a lot quicker than you would do in school. And, and the internship provides an opportunity for you to really think, is this what it could be like? It like, if, if this internship became a full-time job, could I be happy doing this? Would I be creatively challenged, right? Like internships allow you to do that. How are you meshing with the other people, right? George, what are you wearing to work every day, right? Like, cause you know, coming out of college, you got like one good pair of slacks, maybe two good shirts, you know? But right, now- Cause you broke, you, you a college student. You're broke, right? Like- and so what do you wear to work? Like, how how do you plan this part of your life out, right? How do you afford work clothes? I remember asking so many of my older women friends, where do you buy stuff that's not for school? Like, mm-hmm. how, 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's such a learning experience that like the quote unquote real world allows you to start considering things that you just didn't do when you were in school because you're upping the game. Maybe you know, you're learning because of the experience or you're just realizing, like you mentioned to yourself that, hey, I'm now having a different conversation than the rest of my, you know, classmates are. So I need to actually kind of, you know, step it up because I know that it's a difference, right? So in that, when did you first consider yourself a creative? George, I think I'm still working on that every day. I'm not even the creative I was yesterday. Every day is a new learning experience. I'm taking I'm I'm taking a social impact class now on Wednesdays after five. It's from seven to nine. So I'm still learning. And in fact, that's usually one of the things I usually tell um, young designers when they talk with me about this. I'm like, if you are not going to be dedicated to lifelong learning, you need to stop right now. You needn't go any further if you are not willing to dedicate yourself to lifelong learning because that's what it is to be a designer. It's mm-hmm. not good enough just to have a degree and think you're going to keep that job. There is lifelong learning here. They're updating the software every day. There's new software out every day. I was trying to teach myself Adobe XD a couple months ago. Now I don't know how successful I was, George, but uh, I was I was trying. But you learn it. That's the whole point. Every every at like so if you're not going to be dedicated to continuing and nurturing your craft and learning, you may as well just go on a stop right now. Do yourself a favor. Find something that you can do that doesn't require learning. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think there's there's a point where, you know, if you consider yourself, like I've reached a pinnacle of anything at an early age, then you need to stop, right? You need, because you you don't have the wherewithal to kind of dig deep into anything that you're doing to really push it, to really push yourself and to go to that next level. If you think you've kind of achieved whatever you think you should have achieved at 20, 25, 30, right? You really haven't dug deep. And I'm not going to speak for you, but you know, I've been doing this design for at least 20 plus years, right? And like you said, every time you're learning, but every time you're doing things at a different level. I mean, George, I don't, I, I even would love to know how designers 50 years ago kept their skill sets up, right? Because this is before the internet. So like, where were the conferences? How did you do online? Th- like, do you see what I'm saying? So I know mm-hmm. that this piece about this lifelong learning has evolved with the profession as well as with professionals and, and what that piece of it is. And so if you're not able even at this, you know, as you said, at 20 years, for me, 25 plus years, right? Like if you're not able and willing to say, okay, I did not know how to do that. How, how do you do that? All right. I'm, I'm working on a project right now and they use Airtable. I said, we have upped the game on, on Google Sheets now? Like, There's so many, so many levels to, to all of that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you're, you're constantly especially if you enjoy the work, if you enjoy, if you are intrigued and curious, right? If you're, if you're curious, then it's not really difficult for you to try and learn different things. If you don't like that aspect of it, then this is going to be challenging for you. Agreed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. A little transparency to our audience, right? Me and Jacinda have known each other for a little bit of for a little while, you know, we were part of the AIGA DEI task force. Mm-hmm. And with that, I've always known you as Design Explorer. 
And when I was researching you for the episode, I saw that you worked for the city of Cleveland yes. as a design instructor, a yep. program associate for a museum. Yep. So <laughs> let me ask you, what inspired you to shift from being part of these larger organizations to starting a social enterprise? I know, right? Right. I get that. You know, I, um, my specialty was as an in-house designer with publications. And so I specialized in publications, branding, marketing communications, helping with messaging. I also was responsible for doing the vendor quoting. So if we needed to hire a photographer, if we needed to hire a printer, if we needed to hire another creative professional, I was responsible for going through the process and bringing that person on board. And, and for the longest amount of time, George, I thought that was going to be it. I, I really thought that was going to be it. I'd worked for some of the largest organizations here in Cleveland. Um, I like to remind people I designed for Cleveland Public Schools. We had 122 schools, seven administrative sites. We designed bilingual publications in three different languages. And I answered directly to our CEO at the time. Then I moved over to Cleveland Division of Water, where I designed for 500,000 customers. Again, bilingual publications, city ordinances, government spaces. I also designed for the Department of Public Utilities. George, I even did a couple of projects with the mayor's office. So that space, I was like in it. So, you, like, so you're doing small jobs. <laughs> I was, I was like in it. And... You know, I'm a little bit ambitious. And so I was also volunteering. So I volunteered for like five different organizations. And um, I started, you know, as you say, well, how and what? I started mentoring. When I was at the school district, I quickly, because I was the only designer there, I got tired of explaining that, right? They didn't know what design was. I was like 27, 26. They didn't know a black girl designer, let alone what design was, right? So I regularly had to explain what this was. And so I started calling myself the designer, the graphic designer at Cleveland Public Schools. Who else was going to find me for the title? <laughs> and so when I started doing that, it really made, I noticed that it made people respond differently to me. And I noticed it had, it made me up my game. Because if I'm going to tell you I'm the one then I need to know everything, right? I need to know how to do everything here. I need, I need to be able to tell you about our brands, our Pantone, like I engulfed into the phrase logo police. Like I took it serious, George. I had a badge and a hat, like wrong font, wrong size, wrong tint, like everything. And when I started mentoring, it just, took me to a whole nother place. That and the fact, George, I think you know this as well. I suffer from big sister-itis. <laughs> so, you know, since I already suffer from big sister-itis and I really enjoy working with young people, when my first mentee came and said she just wanted to see me work and just watch me. And at first I was like, well, all right, you, you welcome to sit there. And she sat there for like a whole day. It was crazy. I would look over. She would be taking notes. She would be writing. I'm running lunch. She ran and followed me behind lunch. Like, she think I don't see her. Like, <laughs> like she's following me. But, like, she took shadowing serious. <laughs> At the end of the day, George, I was like, okay, well, I'm about to go home. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to follow you. Right. 
I was like, I'm about to go home. Um, I don't know if you have any additional questions or any comments or, and she said, I loved it. Can I come back tomorrow? <laughs> wow. And she said that that's what she shared with me. She was um, a single mom and she was looking to do something in design that could provide for her family. And, and that, that conversation just took me there. Like I'm not just giving her some words of wisdom. She's trying to take care of her child. Like she's, she is looking for me to provide guidance so she can keep her family fed. And, and that just shook me. Like it shook me. And so I just started talking with her and learning what she was doing and how she was doing it and what she had. And, you know, and we became fast friends. In fact, we are still friends now. She actually has her own business and I buy stuff from her business too. Oh, lovely. Yes. I've definitely like when she asked me that, it just took me there. It wasn't just like one of my sisters or brothers asking me something, right? She was trying to take care of her family and that just rocked me. And she was so young, you know, and she was doing the right thing, right? And so I just started working with her. And as I began working with her, my coworkers saw, because she would come down all the time and my coworkers saw it and they were like, oh, Jacinda, um, I saw you with your student. Um, you know, my son wants to do this and I, I don't want him to be like a regular artist. I want him to get a job like you. So can you talk to my son? And then mm-hmm. one person saw me talking to their son and then somebody brought their daughter and then somebody brought their cousin. And then they, the, the, the young people started referring their friends like, oh, I know a black girl doing this. And next thing you knew, I had 10 mentees. Like mm-hmm. it, it just, it, it just happened. And by the time I moved from the school district to the city of Cleveland, George, I was operating a little baby HR design agency in that office. I'm here to let you know I was recruiting. I was helping with resumes. I was helping with interviewing. I was helping decode job descriptions. Um, And the crazy, crazy thing happened, George. They started getting jobs. Well, that's amazing. I I was like, what? They like... And I just started documenting my process. I started writing down, hey, this is what worked. This is what didn't. Um, I started taking notes of who was in my network that I could connect them with. Like, I, and and in doing that is really the first seeds, you know, as I look back of what Design Explorer was going to be. And I think by the time you and I met, Design Explorer became what it is today because of Dr. Mayo and the whole staff at, at Ohio State University. They really, really, really took a special interest in my research work and they helped me to iron it out. I'm talking not just a little rinsing and no, I'm iron with the steam and what is the feasibility? How will you sustain yourself? How will this help the profession? How we mm-hmm. like these deeper research based type of things. And that's really what made Design Explorer possible. So let me ask you this. What what I what I also heard with the idea of that person shadowing you, right? Mm-hmm. Is is something that maybe as as young creatives we don't normally get is somebody really genuinely interested in the things that we're interested in. Right, because yes. a lot of times, such a hard thing that sometimes it's hard for us to explain what we do to our friends, our family who don't really understand, and to have that 
person shadow you, it also, you know, beyond the idea that you were like, oh, she's trying to do something for her family, but also like somebody gets me. Uh, yeah. I think that's an important thing too. I recently met a young man um, in Detroit and um, his mom brought him to meet me, which I, I was like, what? And I was speaking at the Heidelberg Project in New York, I mean, in uh, Detroit. And um, they were like, hey, Jacinda's in Cleveland, Jacinda's in Detroit. And I'm thinking, okay, like, I'm just going to hang out here with y'all. Like, I enjoy the environment. It's creatives there. And I was like vibing. And this mom comes up. She's like, I heard you were here. And they told me you were here, and I brought my son because he likes art like you, and um, he's thinking about doing something with computers. And so I and I started talking to the young man. I'm like, well, tell me what you do. And he starts to try to give me the fluff answer. Well, you know, I do a lot. You know, I like creativity. Okay, well, tell me what you do. Uh, well, you know, I like art classes, and I like computer. What do you do? And he's like, uh, I said, like, well, here's the thing. I'm a creative, so I already understand the language. You can just tell me. You don't have to give me right. the full answer that you give everybody else because they don't know really what you're talking about. You can tell me exactly what you do. And he said, I really like to make posters. I want to do computers. Like he, I want to make videos. He wants to do trailers. He wants to be able to use his art and technology at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's why he's like trying to, that's why his mom is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I need to get you to somebody who can speak that language and help explain it back to me. Mm -hmm. So after I decode the conversation with the son, then I go back and share with the mom, okay, here's what he needs. <laughs> yeah, you translating, really, you translating for her. Yes, it's lots of translating because parents, particularly the ones I've spoken with, George, they genuinely don't know. What you have to understand is that the design profession has changed drastically. It's not even what it was two weeks ago, right? So it's changed drastically. And so parents are just trying to keep up and keep food on the table, clothes on their back, and shoes on their feet. And so your child coming up to you talking about, I need a $600 tablet? For what? <laughs> so right. being able to help parents like, okay, Yes, he does. Yes, he, he definitely could use a tablet. But maybe we started at Wacom tablets, about 100 bucks. They're like, okay, well, where can I get that at? It's this decoding thing, you know, that is constantly happening. I'm decoding with the young folks that I speak with. Then I got to decode for the parents to understand how to better nurture and help and assist and provide this creative beast. Because, you know, it's a thing to feed, right? Like, it's a savage and you got to feed this creativity. And parents are just trying to understand how, what, how much is it? <laughs> mm -hmm. so now they're trying to understand how to do that. And so regularly I have to decode for parents. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And, I, and, you know, it's, it's also just seems like you're just kind of justifying the fact that, that this world that we live in is a viable profession, right? When they're not so used to just, they're used to seeing, unfortunately, the the doctor, lawyer, things like that, where those just things equal money. And like you said, these families are trying to provide. And so they yep. want to make sure that their their children get a job that can also do the same thing because they've been struggling with that potentially. So how do you make sure we do that? And and what, I've, what I hear from a lot of parents is, I'll, he can be creative, but I want him to be able to have what I don't have. 
And so when parents hear, for many parents, when they hear my son or my daughter wants to be creative, they remember these stereotypes. Artists are homeless on the street, paintings that don't sell, or my other favorite, you know, the art cart teacher, you know, the teacher in the art in the class. She doesn't have a classroom. She carries art on the car. She got that little tray and it go down. It wiggle like, right? You know, they're like, oh God, my child is going to get that job. (laughs) They're not excited about that. And so the thing is that as professionals, we have to get better at sharing our stories, telling what's really happening and what's really happening. Not just what's happening, what's really happening. and. We have to be transparent about the good parts and the bad parts because, you know, we we I find sometimes as designer, we we love to be like, oh, yeah, I'm driving this. I'm rocking that. I got the MacBook Pro. I got the new. But let's talk about the before. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I had an opportunity to attend a Project Osmosis event and Project Osmosis was giving out laptops to high school students. George. I was on the call like, is he about to get the MacBook Pro, that $2,700 one? So I typed in the chat box, straight up, George, typed in the chat box. Do you have fonts? If you don't, if you need some fonts, call me. Don't you know the young man was like, I would love to learn more about how to get fonts for the new computer. He don't, he's getting this, he is getting, quote unquote, the limousine, the Lexus of equipment. He doesn't know how to get fonts. Right, like, right. He got the printer, but got no paper, right? Like <laughs> he got the best, for, you know? And I think that's one of the things that like, those things that we just don't talk about, right? Where like, there's so many different connections to to what it is. And and I was going to ask you a silly question. I want to move past it just because, you know, what we're digging into is so much more more interesting, right? And what you're, what you're doing is you're talking about one, translating conversations for, like you're basically bridging the gaps, right? Between, between students and their families of like what this whole, thing is. Yeah. And and what it is 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 the ability to break down kind of what creativity is. When you're talking about art, there's a different thing that we're not artists, we're designers. Correct. And I think a lot of people confuse them because they 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 think they're the same. And yes, we might have started out as artists because that's just kind of how we navigated the world, being able to draw things potentially. Mm-hmm. But we are people who see things and and create impact with what we create versus just something beautiful and let people decide based on that. Yes, yes we are vehicles. I, I like to describe our, describe it as we are, are vehicles where messages and experiences come in. We translate them. We put them on paper or on computers or on social media or billboards or products or services or experience. And um, as a vehicle, you know, we are conduits. Like we, we are that person that's going to translate this and be able to synthesize it so that the next person has a better experience, a more improved, a, a different experience. And I think that we don't talk about that part of it enough. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we don't talk about the evolution of your career. And I think that as we have young people, these are the types of things. Um, I recently was at uh, University of California at UC Davis. And uh, one of the design challenges I gave, because the school was so nice, the design department, they were like, you want to come in and teach a class? I just got off the plane. I'm, um, okay, like, all right. They're like, well, what do you want to? 
And so one of the design challenges was to ask the student designers in the foundations classes, what do you think it's like to be a senior designer? George, their faces went blank, blank. Like, what do old designers do? They're, like, they were like, I'm like, have you ever seen one? They're like, mm-mm. Like, so their world is is so, I don't, I don't want to use the word limited, but their perspective is just very narrow because they just simply haven't had the exposure or the experiences mm-hmm. yet. And so asking them about what you're, what you might be doing in 25 years, that's a tough question. That That's a big question. And right. they don't have a vision of that because they don't see the people doing that. Like they don't see the people at 25 a year. They don't see the people at 50 years. They see the people who are in their classes. They see the people who are in their classes and they see the people who are teaching their classes. That's, that's what that's what college is all about. So I think that we have to be better as professionals to talk about some of these nitty gritty things because we just mm-hmm. can't keep talking about only the pretty stuff. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think that I started this this podcast conversation is the ability to, you know, like you said, talk about the process of getting here. Yeah. Learning from the stories that people have and really trying to realize that it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows and there's a lot of struggle and and too much of it is put on social media and we focus on the beautification of things and the mm-hmm. finalization of work, Absolutely. right? And we don't ever focus on the struggles that that go into it and, you know, the process or the thinking behind it or the even the teams that you have, right? Everybody thinks like, oh, only one person did that. Like, you know, it's on their website. They did it. I'm like, no, hello. There's a whole team behind that creative from writers, designers, videographers, producers, editors, marketers, you know, yes. accountants. Yes. Right? Like, yes. and I think that's all of the things that, that we don't talk about. Correct. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why is to allow my listeners to see that, that there are multitudes of ways to getting to a thing. And if they can align with any of my guests and be like, oh my God, that's exactly how I used to do it. Or I'm looking to do something like them. To mm-hmm. me, that's where the magic happens, right? Mm-hmm. Because then they realize that it's not just what's happening out there on the surface. It's actually also what's happening behind the scenes. And right. a lot of the stuff behind the scenes is where the magic happens. Like to me, that is the big thing. George, that's all the magic. Think about this. You print your annual report. Guess what happens? You put it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you spend six months on that project. <laughs> it's printed. It goes on the shelf. You start the next one. You know, so if we're not if we're not talking and appreciate having an appreciation for the what happened to get us to that place of glory, the 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 being able to really acknowledge it and enjoy it becomes very limited because because you're not you're not respecting any of the stuff that happened before that. You only want to talk about this one little piece, not all the hours I put into it, all the the labor, the drafts, right? Like, ask a designer. Hey, I saw that thing you did. How many drafts did you do? Right? Like, that's a conversation <laughs> in itself. But ask, ask a student how many drafts Woo! they did. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a vastly different conversation because of just their, I think when you were mentioning it, like the lack of knowledge, and it's not to take away anything from there. It's just the exposure, 
And like you mentioned, there's a there's a lack of exposure to design in an early yes. age. So how do you think we as a community needs to address this? And oh, it's a double question, George. Yep, it's a double. It's a double. It's a two parter. And is finding out about design in college too late, in your opinion? Okay, so I'm gonna tackle the, the the last part of the question. I come back, George. As you know, I study education. I love watching educators work. I, I I've been in so many schools, so many teachers. I I love it. I love watching them work. I love when they let me watch them work. I love when they ask me what the, like. I, I just love watching them work, right? I highly respect the work of educators. And in answering your question, I have to say college is too late. It's too late. And for the students and for all of the young people who decide in college, this is what I want to do. It's not impossible, right? It's not impossible to learn it. It's simply the fact that when you're in that K-12 space, you're in a place of discovery, reflection. That's what they call it, right? Reflection. And it's much, the stakes are much lower to reflect in K-12 than they are in a college classroom. See, in a college classroom, my dollars is on the line now. That time for discovery is much more rapid. <laughs> I got to figure this out. I got 16 weeks. I've got four years. I've got a two year. Like, so that, so that place of discovery happens best in that foundations part of the passage. That's that whole K-12 piece. Plus, maybe you guys are way more fortunate um, in New York, but see here in Ohio, we start standardized testing in the second grade. Now, George, I don't know if you've ever seen an eight-year-old have to prepare for a test. It is the saddest thing. I'm here. It it is so sad, George. When I go to a school and I know I'm going to be there a couple, couple weeks, couple months. First question out of my mouth, what, what month is testing? Cause I want to be out of here by testing. Cause like it's, it's heartbreaking <laughs> to watch. It's heartbreaking, but they're eight, they're eight. So we, we are starting standardized testing in the second grade so that we can begin to learn what their future likes and interests and capabilities are at, at eight. That that's a, I mean, George, what were you doing at eight? I'll tell you what I was, I was just drawing (laughs) at eight. I was drawing, I was having lunch at recess and, um, I was doing pretty decent at gym because I'm very unathletic and no one ever picked me. So that's what I was doing at eight. I can't imagine having to make a career decision at eight. Oh no. But oh no, that's what we're asking our eight-year-olds to do now. We're asking our eight-year-olds with standardized testing, what are you good at? What did you like? How much did you learn? What kind of, you know, like we're asking them these metric-based questions at eight. So when mm-hmm. you talk about is it is is college too late, when I look at the K-12 system and all the opportunity for discovery and for learning and being exposed to different things, that's the place. Like, Mm-hmm. That's the place. So it's not that it can't happen at the college level. It's just you have time in the K-12 space that you simply, you don't have that kind of time at the college level. Right. And then what can we do to have a better um, 
uh, a better acceptance? How can we do this? Is that the question? How can we have a better acceptance? Well, how, you know, since there's a lack of exposure, right? What can the design community do to address this? It's a threefold answer. It's because realize that the lack of diversity in design is a wicked problem. When we talk about how to solve wicked problems, problems that are so massively large that one thing, one person, one fix just isn't going to cut it. Wicked problems are things that you couldn't even put a million dollars on it. You you couldn't dump a billion dollars in education right now and fix it. Nope. <laughs> you couldn't dump a billion dollars in public transportation and fix it. Because this is beyond money. These are how we identify wicked problems, right? Like how massively large. And design, the lack of diversity in design is a wicked problem. And so we need to treat it like a wicked problem and look for multiple people to solve it. Different kind of people in different kind of places and different kind of experiences and different kind of perspectives. See, that's how we address a wicked problem. And Mm-hmm. If we begin to think of this lack of diversity of design in that, then we would understand that it's not just educators. We need parents. We need professionals. We need organizations. We need businesses. We need all of these people focused and united to begin to work on that problem. That's true. That's true. It is is definitely something, right, a systematic problem mm-hmm. that I think, as you're talking about, an eight-year-old student in the second grade needing to determine what their life is going to be, you know, when when we understand standardized testing basically inhibits creativity, and it it, it allows only students or or individuals to only focus on what is being asked versus what can they potentially do, right? And as an eight year old, they should be exploring and having these moments of epiphanies versus you know standardization right. and you need to do this as an assembly line kind of answer question this is what happens yes and that's why you know when i when when we do summer camps it's such a revolutionary experience because i'm not asking you to do the same thing you did for miss jones class and i'm willing to wait for you to think about it well well what time is it over because what if i don't we'll wait you can come back tomorrow we'll talk about it again but what happens if i don't (laughs) what happens if i can't think of it we're going to sketch, we're going to draw, we're going to have some conversations. Let's look at our, what our friends are doing, right? They're so like, how do I do this? What happens if I can't? Like, like it, 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 they, they just having this, this struggle. And so because they've been taught like, hey, I told you eight facts. I need you to give me eight answers. Mm-hmm. The conditioning. It's, the, it's that conditioning. And then they come to design or creativity where we're like, what do you think? They're like, well, what do you think? How is it? I don't know. How do you like it? Well, what if I don't? Well, do you? Like, they're, they're like, I had one student one time, I was like, can you just answer one of my questions? I did. <laughs> they're like, don't you know? But just but with the question, I answered. I... <laughs> they're like, you don't know? I really don't. What do you think it is? That's why I was asking you. I don't know either. What, we, what do you see? It's one of the biggest things I, I always see is is as an educator myself is the idea that that they consider design us like we have solutions, not answers. <laughs> and solutions is a very different case based on a bunch of different factors that go into account to say, you know, because of these things, this is potentially an option it, that, versus an answer. 
obviously is, you know, something that is proven to be true. And this equals this. And one of the things I tell my students is exactly what you're getting at is the fact that you're trying to uncover things and it's not going to be a direct answer. And if you're looking for me <laughs> to give you an answer, then, you know, we're, we're going to have this runaround conversation of just, well, what do you think all day? Oh, and I excel at this conversation. What are you like? I don't know. What are you having? What's going on? Well, wh- what did you see? What did you hear? Like, oh, we can go. I, I can take, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with eight, nine year olds. So I, I can play this game really well. Like, really. But it, but I think to do that is to uncover the ability and, and for them to understand, like, it's you're breaking them from this cycle of answering what the, like, needing an answer. And I think the discovery part is cool. Like, I love to think about, okay, two and two does equal four. We get that. But in what situation could it equal five? Let's just have a conversation. George, if you do it right, sometimes one plus one can equal 11. Right. Right? And so it's being able... It's, it's being able to own and discover. And so when you ask, like, how has it happened? I believe that it's happened because the expectations I've set for students are different. I don't expect you to tell me the last thing that you told Mrs. Jones and get an A. That's just not how this is going to operate. In fact, I want you to make your own design. And I have plenty of time to sit here and work with you on it. There's not a rush here. We might be using physical tools. We might be doing wacky supplies, you know, because I love to bring like colored packing peanuts or popsicle sticks or like um, I found these little foam cubes at the educator store, right? Like they're like, these could be buttons. It could be a building. If you stack, I'm like, really? Wow. How how can you stack them? Like, so I'm not even going to bring you the same supplies Mm -hmm. that you're using in your other classes because I want us to have a different context to our conversations. So our outcomes are always different because I don't go into it, get trying to get the same and deliver the same information. Like, so the thinking is different. The ownership of the knowledge is different. That is really where I see young people just thriving when they, when I'm able to spend three, four, five, six sessions with a group of students by the end of it, they're like, so you think that was designed too? Absolutely. Like they can go through that thinking process on their own and make better decisions. And that's how we know the thinking has changed. Right. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to do with Design Explorer. I don't, I don't want people, particularly young people, I, I don't want them coming to events or activities or workshops and not changed at the end of it, not changed. And to do that work, it's very laborious, right? Like it's very, it's very labor intensive because I'm not bringing you the same things. We're not going to have the same kind of conversations. I'm going to ask you different stuff. Like, and it's that preconditioning of how students have been thinking that we have to begin to break that. And that's why as designers, we have to talk more about our work, more about our process, more about our story, that whole piece of it. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. What I love hearing about that is, is there's no one size fit all. And I think that's some of the things that, that educators who want to be impactful educators do. Yeah. 
they understand the assignment and they understand that they have to bring differences to all of those things. You can't just do the same thing every single time. And I think that's really where you understand and you see the educators really shine is when they start to look at that and they go, okay, cool. I understand what, what my goal is, but for this group of people, I have to adjust. So it, 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 is, it is that sense of learning continually because for me, every semester, it changes because I got a new group of students. So I think the same thing for every successful educator is the same where they say, I understand what I'm trying to do, but I need to adjust based on who I have in that room, based on who I'm talking to. And that's exactly what you're telling me is the fact that I'm going to make sure that you understand it because you may understand it differently than Bobby, Sue, Jamar, anything like that. And that's the important part that you get. And that's why so many organizations who work with me, they're kind of like, oh, well, Jacinda, we, we, we had a script and you went off script. Well, because Chris and Mark was looking crazy. They didn't understand what I was talking about. We must go together collectively. This means we must we must travel together. And I can't leave four or five behind just because two or three got it. I, I we, we have to move in unison. So what happens if I come back here again and we talk about this and I don't address the thing that they don't understand? Right? Like, mm-hmm. th- then what, am I, what are we going to do? And so a lot of times um, it's really difficult for organizations because they're like, well, what are you going to ask them about? What are you going to say? I don't know yet. I mean, I go in there with an outline. I have some slides. I got some resources. <laughs> Right. I got my bag of motivation. Right. I got my bag of motivation snacks. But we might have different conversations. Like I've had conversations about the difference between art and design. Like kids want to understand it. Um, I taught a group of kindergartners um, design once and their biggest questions to me were. So in the art class, we're just going to paint. But in here, we're going to make stuff. I'm like, yes. They're like, isn't that like making an art? And I'm like, sort of. They're like, huh? Like, <laughs> they're trying, even at that young of an age, they were trying to understand the difference between art and design. And what's so wonderful about it is I had shared with a couple of them, you know, there's some grown people still trying to figure that out. So you all are excited yeah, for even tackling the topic, like for even asking the hard questions. That's how I know you're going to be powerful. That's how I know you're going to be exceptional because you're already asking the hard questions. And they're like, and they're comfortable with that at that, at that young age. And, and having a group conversation, one is like, well, if we make stuff, is it different with our hands than if we make it with the computer? Like, they're like, is that a difference? <laughs> like they, they were trying to figure out that. And I think when I, when I look back at like all the different places that I've taught and all the different organizations and classrooms, some of my favorite, most comical, most creative, most aha moments was in that kindergarten class, trying to communicate this thing called design to a six-year-old who's still learning the alphabet. But, but you can't use the regular definitions. You can't use the regular <laughs> techniques. You can't use the regular, like, like you got to come way deep. Because they Mm -hmm. want to understand it. The only challenge is they're six. (laughs) But you're able to, then you're able to drill it down to like its essence. For a six-year-old, 
you don't need to use the big words and try yes. to explain it over somebody's head. You're like, hey, this is what it is and this is what it's not. Yeah. But also you let's just have a conversation. Yep. And that's why right? I started taking in the the quote unquote wacky supplies as we call them, because it equaled the learning and the 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 playing field. Because sometimes I might have third graders, right? I might go to an after school program where they clump the kindergarten and the third graders together, right? They put the, you know, they put groups of students together. So like K to two might be together, maybe like three, four, five might be together. So I can't change the entire lesson. I have to be able to teach it in a way that even the six-year-old and the eight-year-old can both understand it and work and build and design together. And that- That's a skill. You said that's a skill. <laughs> that is a definite skill. And I, I don't want to take anything away from you because I think that is the ability to, to create design for that multiple mm -hmm. audience and understanding that because who you, you know, are engaged with, you understand that could be a wide variety of ages and, and to build that in. Yes. And issues, right? We've got literacy issues. I see literacy challenges often. I, I mean, especially I want to say maybe these last three years, two years, two, three years, I've seen a lot more literacy challenges. Like, like, oh, okay. I understand what's happening here. Hey, would you like to work with my one friend? You know, he's really, really great at this. Maybe we can do it together so that the things that you don't do well, he can help with. And there's probably something mm -hmm. he doesn't do well. So now that's going to bring the bar down and level this up so no one feels some kind of way about being vulnerable about this thing that they don't know or can't figure out or I mean, that's the ultimate form of collaboration, right? Yes. Which is what we do. Yeah. And and the ability to say, you know what? Everybody has a strength. Let's put those people with different strengths together so we can all just work together. And to do that at a younger age allows you to maybe even consider as, as, as maybe those young people to be like, oh, I'm good at one thing and that other person's good at the other thing. We can work together. George, um, at my last summer camp, um, I was assigned um, a, a young teenager to be my helper. You know, they're like, she'll help you with anything you need. She'll help you if you need help with your passing out the R supplies, if you need help packing things up or, you know, if we, for cleanup, she'll help with that. But George, I happened to notice she was having far too much fun working with some of the second graders. Like far too much fun. Finally, by the second week of camp, I'm like, you know what, Lizzie, you know how you could really help me? She's like, yeah, how? why don't you go lead the second grade team? She's like, I, I can? You Like, yeah, Lizzie, I can figure out this tech piece. You know, that would really help me if you worked with them. Because, you know, you can read a little bit faster than them and they can build and cut stuff up. They could, You could really help them with your thinking. And she was like, can I really? You go right ahead. <laughs> so instead of... See, I mean, say and work with me where she was learning nothing. She wasn't having fun because if we can't have fun with this thing. I don't know how much farther we going to make it. And when I told her to do that, man, oh man, it sent a, a, a ripple through camp because all the other high school kids, can I work with the sixth graders? Like that, we could, we could, we can do what? Like, cause they all thought, Hey, I have to help the adult. 
But, you know, by the second week at camp, I already know where the restroom is. Um, I already know where to park my car. I, I know where to go get, you know, a can of pop. So I'm good that like if you really want to help, let's help the others so that we can all have fun together. They love it. That's that's the whole point. And and it, I mean, you, you, you talk about all this and honestly, I just listening to the way you mentor and the way you connect with young people is, is a conversation I believe me and you can have for a long time, just kind of vibing off of these stories and things like that. But one of the things I also want to understand is just um, design explorer as a company. Yeah. How is it, how is it structured? Is it just you or is there a team of explorers? Well, I will be very, are you the team for many, 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 many years? Uh, George, I, um, a lot of people did not like yourself, didn't know it was just me. Like didn't, didn't know it was just me for many years. I want to say almost maybe like the first four years I was by myself. I, I couldn't afford to hire anybody. I don't like to have people work for free. Um, I, I couldn't afford, I couldn't even really finish to affording to design my own brand because I had to work to pay for my mortgage and pay for my car note. So I didn't have to like, that's how tight it was. Like my accountant, she's always laughing at me. She's like, when she looks at the book, she's like, Oh, you must be living lean. Like those, she was like, are, are we going to be able to continue our relationship? Like, are you are, like, what? It was lean. Those first, <laughs> it was lean. It was lean. It was lean. And I, I just took on the pieces I could um, there were lots of, mm-hmm. there was lots of mistakes and lots of failures. <laughs> COVID brought even a few more, right? And I, and, and all I could do, George, was keep moving forward. That That's all I could do. I, I couldn't quit. I, I refused to go and just quit and find a job somewhere where I knew I wasn't going to be happy. And, and so even during the lean times, right? Um, I remember one year I was really broke. I was really broke. And George, I took a job at um, an after-school camp and I made a deal with them. And I said, hey, okay, I'll come and help surf snacks and watch the children and make sure they're safe and all that kind of stuff that happens at an after-school program. I was like, my only exchange, my only request is, is that if there's time during the three hours after school when the parent, before the parents come, if there's an opportunity to teach design classes, I would like to do that. And George, by the third week, they was like, you know, you could just keep doing this. We'll just call you on to like, because the kids started loving it. I would bring my art supplies in and they would be like, are you coming to the third grade class? No, today I'm going to the first grade. You was with them already. What you know, on Mondays, I go to the kindergartners. Tuesdays, I come to the first grade. Like they're like, uh, uh-uh, you was with them already. You should come to the third grade class. <laughs> so I'm like, trying to negotiate. Trying to negotiate, carrying the art supplies. Talk about, I'll help you, Miss Jacinda, if you come to our class first. And and it, it it just it just really really took off. And and George, I had to take a job doing it, and and I had to make the exchange. Like, hey, I'll do this. And while I was doing that, I was writing and documenting and researching everything. Like. I came home at night. I would take notes of what went, what went well, what failed. My kindergartners were infamous for letting me know we didn't understand that at all. Like, was that spell? Is the B? Which way does the B go? Like, like they, they were like, I'm like, ooh, okay, that lesson didn't work. Let me, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we try another one next time I come back. And so because of all of that, the volume has picked up tremendously and it's forced me to develop and engage a team. Um, I'm really excited to say that, you know, I have some awesome young people who have stepped up. Um, I also have to really share that the first round of young people that I mentored when they found out what I was doing with Design Explorer, George, they were the first people who volunteered to help me. They, they were the first ones who helped with my website. They were the first ones who offered to help me with my social media. You know, they were the first ones like, hey, you got to do this thing and then we this will happen and I'll show you how to do that. And then we can, like, they were the first ones to do that. I call them the OGs, the original, the original gangsters, the OG mentees. Because, you know, I got three tiers of mentees, you know. I got the OGs, the new Gs, and the wannabe Gs. Oh, you got you got wannabe Gs. Wannabe Gs. These are the people who are calling me now. Like, um, can you help me find an internship? Um, um, so and so called me, and something happened at my job, and I need to find out what it, like situations, scenarios. Them the wannabe Gs, like they trying to get right. And the OGs were the first ones that helped. I mean, I know I have some pictures circulating around here and because, you know, we've been celebrating the five, the fifth year anniversary of Design Explorer. And, you know, they came back and they saw where we're at and what we're doing and where we're working. They're like, oh, my God, it's they was like, what? You got an office? Like, because I never had before. I was always working out of my home. I was always having activities out of my out of my space, out of my garage, out of my driveway. You know, I was always doing stuff like that. So they have been instrumental. And when I have opportunities now, I've just gotten so used to giving those opportunities to young people that I, I don't even seek. I don't seek a lot of adults to help with things because I know that the young people will do what they will help guide and direct to what Design Explorer needs it to be, right? And that's really what I've been doing. So I have a young person who's been operating my social media channel since she was like 17. Um, I, and I let her do what she wanted. So you think we should be talking about what? Really? Like, where did you find that at? How'd you like, explain it to me. That's the, that's the empowerment. You, you've been able to foster the the engagement with really young students you've been able to foster this with people who you mentor mm-hmm. and then if you empower them to think about and and be part of your brand right which i think is what you were talking about with that one student who instead of just working for you is actually working with yes. you if you empowered her to do that those are the things like even when you said with your internship right when you get to do the actual work versus just getting the coffee and doing the kind of like just whatever when you're doing that, you understand the importance. Absolutely. And then and they're like they're paying it back to you with saying, cool, we understand what you gave us and now supporting you in in what you've basically allowed them to do, right? So if you're mentoring people in design and they're now getting jobs in web or social media management and they're like, Cool, I'll just do that for you because it's what I do. There's a young man I've been mentoring. He was deeply affected by COVID. You know, he was going to school in Chicago and you know, when COVID happened, they closed schools. And so he had to come home. He had literally like two classes left before graduation. Like he was, he, feelings hurt, rightfully so, rightfully so. And so I just kept calling him. I kept letting him call me. 
Um, I have a calendar link that I give a lot of them like, hey, I can't talk at this second. Here's my link. You pick a time that you want to talk to me and we'll figure something out. Right. I'll send you a link. We can talk on the cell phone and and, and let's ha- let's put this together. And he kept calling. He called me a couple of weeks ago, like, Jacinda, I got a job. He was like, I'm so happy. He was like, I want you to call me if you ever need something. And so as I, though I had a plan for Design Explorer, as we talked about in that classroom, right? The more young people that I talk to, the more young people that I work with, the more young people I hear their stories for, it always makes me wonder, should Design Explorer be doing that? Is that something, you know, that I can get into? Um, Because of the mentoring work that I've been doing, I, I have a great desire now to teach a gap class, you know, like a gap class. Remember, like back in the day, you took a class during the four weeks of Christmas or the four weeks, you know, of summer break, you know, like before summer break, after first week, first four weeks before summer and then before school starts in the fall. Man, I, I have a great desire to teach a professional practice gap year class, you know, like all of these types of things. And because I've been doing it for so long and so much. I now know when a young person comes to me, I know exactly how much time we need to spend together. And I have about maybe three or four young people right now. They're bar- they're embarking on their one year with me. So I'm already hitting them up. So what are we doing? Why haven't we finished that? What are we doing next? Right. Like, and they literally tell me stuff like, um, well, we don't know if we're ready to go in the real world. Honey, um, th- it's already the real world. And you're-, you're- right, you've, been, you've been doing this for a long time. You just didn't know it, maybe. D- you're already in the real world. It's it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it is? It is. It's not coming. It's not starting. It's started. You're using the wrong verb. <laughs> right, right. The wrong tense. And and you know what? I think one of the things that I'm that I'm listening to, and like I said before, we we can honestly go deep in all of these little these little nuances. But as we start to kind of like close out, as a as a mentor. Mm-hmm. As an advocate, what are you still inspired by? Wow, wow, wow. I I am still inspired by the drive that young people have to figure it out. Because sometimes as adults, we get frustrated. We're like, okay, this just might not be happening. Young people do not do that, George. It, it fascinates. Like It fascinates me that they will figure something. They have a drive and a, a thirst for understanding and comfortability and like I, I've just never witnessed. I, now I, I talk with my older family members and I ask them, did I do that? And they're like, mm-hmm, it was real bad too. And so maybe this just happens. Maybe now that I've aged, I don't see it. You know, maybe, maybe adult has, maybe adulthood has dropped on me or something. Right. So when you say, what am I impressed? Like the drive of young people. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And then to see them grow into their confidence, it's so wonderful. Like it, it's it's so wonderful. And anything that I did to play a part in that helps me sleep good at night. Well, that's amazing. So now as a business owner yep. and a creative, yep. what do you struggle with? <laughs> Remember we talked about failure and fa- fail fast. That's what I that's my motto. Fail fast. I try to do it fast. <laughs> Um, what do I struggle with? You know, George, I am really looking to always learn more about social impact businesses. 
one of the biggest challenges that I get often is that people think Design Explorer is a nonprofit. I'm like, I never said that. The materials don't say that. Like, we are all about profit. We fo- we totally love profit at Design Explorer. <laughs> we love profit, but we understand the necessity to be able to take advantage of some of the things that are happening in the nonprofit sector and apply them in a for-profit place and some of the things that are happening in a for-profit place and apply them in a business or in an organizational setting. And so when you talk about what are some of the things that I'm struggling at, um, I'm always looking for other social impact organizations to learn from and to hear how they're doing it. There's not much written or um, like easily accessible about these businesses. So I'm, I'm in a few um, impact hubs. I'm even taking um, a, a organizational management class right now with the organization here in Cleveland. So I'm always looking to learn that part of it. And I guess like most careers, most most creatives, I struggle with, hey, did I add those profit loss numbers up right? Like, did, okay, did I put the call? Like, did... <laughs> Math, numbers, and data. <laughs> now, if you want me to tell you some data from the census period, oh, I got those numbers, man. For, like, boom, I got those for days. You're like, I need you to add up this whole, I'll be like, oh, oh hold on. Let me, let me get, the, let me, let me check. I know. Sometimes when it comes to our our own stuff, it, it tends to be that you could I could do it for somebody else, but when it comes to me, like, ooh, where's that? What? I can't wait. Where did I put that info? Where's that receipt? Um, oh, I was supposed to keep all that paperwork. Oh, my bag. <laughs> right, right. And so, on top of that, right now, you're also a seasoned professional, right? You've been doing this, like you said, for a pretty long time. A long time. <laughs> what advice would you give a younger self entering the design industry today? I've been talking a lot about this lately because. Like I said, I'm coming across a lot of high school students right now. Like it's crazy. Like how many high school kids are reaching out to me right now? I tell them to believe. Now, this believing thing is like multi-layered because it's easy to say, oh, you should believe. And you're like, oh, I believe. But do you really? Do we operate and move in ways that we show we believe? Not all the time, George, not all the time. And so if I was talking to a younger, my younger self or any young people, I always encourage them that you should believe you can do it. That thing that you think is a disadvantage, it might very well be the best damn thing you should do. It, it, it might be the very, the very thing. I have a, a young person right now. He um, shared with me that he speaks Spanish and he, he speaks, he reads, he writes, right? He has two languages and he's trying to figure out what to do in design. I said, you have hit the gold mine. I was like, did you know you can do design in language? And he's like, huh? Because you know, the school taught him how to design in English. They're designing in your culture too. So I've been giving him a tip, like read this, learn about like, so he didn't believe it was possible. And that's where I'm like, you got to believe it. You gotta believe it, and 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 you designed in multilingual things too. That's why I re- so you understand that space. When I showed him some of the things I did, and when I gave him some of the booklets, and we talked about like, do you realize how many magazines are translated in Spanish? We've got like Cosmo and Vogue in Spanish, not even translated. It's a whole different publication. Like, and that's an audience. That's a that's a vehicle by which you can use your creativity and your bilingual language. And still do what you want to do. Like, you don't have to give one up or hide one. 
you can have both. You mm-hmm. gotta believe it. You gotta believe it's possible. You gotta believe it can happen. You gotta believe you can do it because there will be people, there will be forces, there will be places and organizations to tell you otherwise. So if you don't, you better start believing quick. And that's really mm-hmm. what I try to tell them. Because there's going to be outside forces that are always going to tell you to not do things. And you have to be the one to 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 go all in on yourself. Yes. Yes. There, there's, a, um, there's a gospel song out that says, sometimes you got to encourage yourself. And that's really what I try to remind them to do because those outside forces are real. They're, mm-hmm. they're very, very, very real. And so with just a little mustard seed of belief, you could do anything. And so that's what I'm hopeful that they'll take away from it. Awesome. Awesome. So what does the future hold for Jacinda Walker and Design Explorer? Oh, man. Um, what does the future hold for Jacinda? Um, the future for Jacinda is really, really, really to see Design Explorer succeed. I've been working for many, 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 many moons to be able to have a space. And and that's what I'm pushing for right now. I'm, I'm, I am pushing and putting everything into making this thing come to fruition. What does the future hold for Design Explorer? You know, I really love, as I shared before, I love working with educators. I love seeing them. What I'm looking forward to doing in the future with Design Explorer is getting more into the curriculum writing space. You know, I've been in classrooms a very long time. (laughs) I've been in many, many different classrooms and being able to communicate to others this how to do it is is just so in my face right now, right? Like I I just see such a great need um, to be able to help others to be able to do this type of work. And so those are the two things that I see in the future. Awesome. Awesome. And lastly, where can our listeners find out more about you, Design Explorer, your thesis, oh my and ways they can support you? Absolutely. Um, everyone, you can always find me at Design Explorer. And, you know, everyone knows I say it all the time. We spell Design Explorer with two R's, real gangster, D-E-S-I-G-N-E-X-P-L-O-R-R. And you can always find uh, me there. You can also find me at JacindaWalker.com. So these two places, everything is linked, lots of um, good reading materials, lots of press stuff, uh, resources. We put together a huge resource page on our Design Explorer channel. Um, and we're always promoting and sharing out other resources so that we can kind of keep these conversations alive and present. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jacinda. It was it was great for me to go a little bit off script as a prepare for an interview like this. But I think the direction that you took this and, you know, the dig deep into how your mentorship, how the way you encourage and empower, you know, young people to start to get into design was way more important than any other, you know, sticking to my script, right? Like you said, I have an outline and whatever happens during the conversation, I'm able to adjust and flip. And I think this was one of those beautiful moments where, where that was happening just the same way you do it when those people are trying to ask you, well, what are you going to talk about? So I, I, I thank you for this enlightening conversation because it's one of those conversations that I don't think we've ever really had mm-hmm. for the five plus years that we've probably known each other. Mm-hmm. This is probably the most in-depth conversation we've really had about you, but really how important this this 
organization and what you put into it is really doing and supporting and and creating a space for young people to feel like they can be comfortable in their own skin and learn about things that maybe us when we were younger kind of felt just normal and some students now don't get those same opportunities and now they're now we need to create these other entities to help facilitate that. And you are one of those people who've been doing it and doing it really, really well. Well, thank you so much, George. I appreciate you for having me and inviting me and allowing us to have this deep conversation. Well, I loved it. Once again, Jacinda, thanks again for this chat. And I can't wait to learn more where, you know, Design Explorer takes you. Take care. Have a good day. This has been Works in Process. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Jacinda Walker. I'm inspired to learn how she's been able to not only help and support young creatives, but also the parents to decode the creative beast as well. It was great to take time to learn more also about Design Explorer and hear how she plans to move forward. If you want to learn more about the research, people, organizations mentioned in our conversation, please check out the show notes on our website, wip.show. Also, if you really liked the episode, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can find Works in Process on all media platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, amongst many others. Please follow us on Instagram at works underscore in process. Thanks again. And until next time, follow your gut and trust in the process.